Hey, we have a special speaker for you this morning. Uh, his name is B.G. Stumberg, and B.G. and Lynn have been a part of the church for about five years now or so, and uh, really glad to have them. B.G. retired as the pastor of Canyon Ferry uh, Baptist out there in the East Valley, and uh, served a number of years out there, and so would you please give a warm welcome to BG as he comes up and shares a message with us this morning? Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Well, good morning. I, uh, I just want to let you know I count a huge blessing to be able to speak here this morning and uh, share God's word. So, um, I'm going to start with this, just sort of asking a couple of questions. Would anybody here dispute me that these are, I call them insane times we're living in? I'm a part of uh, prime timers, and I'm going to make an unabashed plug for prime timers right now. But uh, prime timers have two things that you have to have in order to be a part of prime timers. They don't have to both be in order, but you can, um, you have to have gray hair or white hair. And you have to be over 55. So if you have gray hair and you're under 55, you can be a part of us. If you have gray hair and you're over 55, you can be a part of us. If you're just 55 and you still got your hair, you can be a part of us. So, But um, guys, have any of you seen anything like this? You who are older? The last four months have been um, amazing, really, in one sense. And in the last four years, politically, have been sort of a crazy time. I, I've, uh, I can remember when Eisenhower was still president. I have vague memories of that as a child. And we've never had anything like what's going on now with that. Um, so how do, you, uh, how do you heal or how do you handle insane times? When something comes at you that you just cannot really grab hold of, what do you do? What's your default? Where do you go? Um, maybe you've messed up in your personal life somewhere along the line. You've sinned or you've done something that, or something maybe just out of the blue, they call this thing a black swan event right now. Maybe you've had a personal black swan event. And what do you do when that happens to you? What's your default? Where do you go? On top of all that, that's just been happening around us, we as Christians, I believe, have a target on our back. Um, the last several weeks, the elders have been helping us understand the warfare we're in. And I don't know about you, but I've really appreciated that. I've, I've taught on warfare num- numbers of times, and there's a need for us to understand the absolute war that we're in. Uh, praise God, we're part of God's children. We do not have to live under the condemnation of, of uh, the devil. Corey shared that with us last week. I listened to that. and It's a good message. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to those messages. They're really good on the website. We've been set free in Christ. He lives within us. He's our, he's our salvation, but he's also our God. And by the Holy Spirit, he lives in us. Jesus is the light. And his word shines light into darkness. And so I would encourage you, what I want to take you through today is looking at the word in order to understand all that's happening to around us, understand the war we're in. I'd say there's a ton of untruth in the world today. There's all kinds of deceptions going on. 
The only way we can clearly see in the midst of these insane times is to draw close to the one who is truth and the one who is light. He will illuminate the darkness and show us truth if we'll focus on him. And that's what I want to really talk about this morning. Um, I want to look at three scriptures real quick to sort of put this into a um, context, if you would, with what we're doing. And then I want to go to one of my favorite passages in scripture in the Old Testament. So uh, if you could put up Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. I think JR has mentioned this numbers of times in his uh, messages on warfare. Um, uh, Jason mentioned it, I believe. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Are, are we in the midst of schemes of the devil? I think we are. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what this battle ultimately is all about all the way through our life. But specifically right now, I think um, in these last four months and certainly in these last years, there's been a huge spiritual battle going on. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done it all, stand firm. Now look at the next verse. Pop the next one up if you would. Um, I have a brand new Bible that I got to go to India with. I go to India in January. And um, I uh, forgot to take it. Had a senior moment. So I have... Um, all these scriptures there, but they're, they're uh, tight together. So after verse um, 13, it says, Stand firm, uh, or stand therefore, verse 14, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Where do you find truth? In the word. This is truth. Now, this is just my personal Bible, but you've got a Bible. This is the truth. And whatever's coming at us, we have to decide whether we're going to believe that circumstance, believe what's going on, or whether we're going to look to God's word for truth. To be able to discern and understand the times and understand what, uh, what's happening to us. Put up a second Tim or second Chronicles, uh, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 10. There it is. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I think Corey last week uh, gave us a good explanation of what a stronghold is. It can be in your mind. It can be in your heart. It can be in your family. It can be in your culture. And right now we're dealing with a lot of strongholds. But we have a divine weapon that can pull those strongholds down. What, what is that divine weapon again? It's the truth. It's our faith. It's, it's walking in the light. Go to the last one, Ephesians 2, 1 and 3. 1 through 3. It says, and, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is the prince of the power of the air? 
Satan. Yeah. He's the prince of the power. Who's the king, though? Excuse me? <laughs> Is anybody? Yep. Come on now. Help me out here. I'm a Baptist preacher originally, and so we shout at times. We talk back and forth. We sort of get excited. You know, we, we got to get with it a little bit. I'm a little nervous up here. I'm hanging to this thing right now. But come on. Who's the king? Thank you. He's king. And, and Satan's just a mere prince. And he's not a good prince by any stretch. If you follow, I don't know if you put it up there, but if you follow into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, it says that he is uh, under the wrath of God. He's, he's the prince of wrath. Why is Satan the prince of wrath? Because he's always at war with God. He's always fighting. He's angry with God because God doesn't want to give him um, the notoriety, the, uh, uh, the, the picture of himself as something great. In fact, he cast him out of heaven because of his pride. And that works in the sons of disobedience. So, again, what does the word say about those who don't know Jesus? It says they're under the wrath of God. They're, the son, they're part of the sons of disobedience. And some of them may be great people, but if they work against God, they're not in the right camp, if you would. So we're in this war. We're in this huge war that's going on. Um, sometimes we see it overtly, and then sometimes we don't see it at all. It's, it's like a secret war. It's like there's a huge deception going on behind the scenes at times. So I want to look this morning, though, at, at, uh, at something that happened to a, a man named Jehoshaphat. If you have your Bible, um, you might want to turn to 2 Chronicles. I think we'll put most of it up here. But in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, um, something unexpected happens to Jehoshaphat in his, in his kingdom. They're suddenly accosted by this huge army, and it comes basically... Um, out of nowhere at them. They, there was no expectation of it. So um, just as a prelude, Jehoshaphat is a, he's a wonderful king in a lot of ways. I identify with Jehoshaphat because he made lots of mistakes. And I make a ton of mistakes. <laughs> um, one of the mistakes he made was he, he allied himself with Ahab. Ahab is noted as being the, the worst king of Israel, the northern kingdom. He was an extremely wicked king. A second thing that I picked up while I was studying this, and I've looked at this passage for years, but uh, Jehoshaphat uh, made a political marriage for his son with the daughter of Ahab. When his son took, or, or excuse me, um, when his son took over as king, he killed all of his brothers because, excuse me, Jehoshaphat married a, uh, a daughter of, of um, Ahab. And when their son took over, he did what most heathen kings did at that time. He massacred all his brothers. So there'd be no challenge to the throne. So, you know, Jehoshaphat made a bad mistake right there. He made another mistake at the end. If you look at the end of this chapter later on, he, um, he had... Uh, a whole fleet of ships built in order to do trade with um, Ahab. That was a bad move. Didn't pray about it. And the whole fleet sunk before it ever left harbor, basically. 
So here's a guy who's um, he's sort of a normal guy. He makes, at least for me, he's, I'd like to be a David, but I'm not sure that I'm quite up to that at times. Anybody here want to be David? I think he's an awesome, awesome character in the Old Testament. But probably I'm closer to a Jehoshaphat. Anyway, in the midst of all this, Jehoshaphat in chapter 17 outlines what his army is all about. And he's got, um, he's got a, a million... 160,000 men in his army that are stationed, as near as I can figure, in Jerusalem. That's a lot of guys. That's a big army. And then he's got other outposts all through Judea with people stationed in those. And it doesn't tell us how many people are out there, but let's just say there's several hundred thousand that are stationed in these different outposts in order to protect the perimeter of Judah. So we're not talking about a small army. As near as I can understand this passage, he's pretty much feared by all the surrounding kingdoms. And so with that prelude, look at these first two verses. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Minuitites, uh, or you could just say ites, all the ites started coming. I've always struggled with pronunciation, but anyway, against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they're, they're, they are in Hazan, Tamar, that is in Gedi. So they're not really very far from Jerusalem, and this horde is coming at them. Now, I just want you to think about this before we go into the main part of the passage. But if Jehoshaphat has over a million-man army, how many people do you think these guys had mustered together in order to come against Jehoshaphat and to put him into what we'll find out in verse 3? Absolute fear. A lot. I'm thinking they're somewhere in the three to one range, you know, like three million against one million type of thing. There might have been as many as two, uh, two to, or excuse me, six to one or, or six million. Reason being is they, they all understood that Jehoshaphat was, had a big army, that he was a good warrior, that he protected his country, and they needed something that would be overwhelming in order to destroy uh, Jehoshaphat's army. Sort of an unannounced horde comes running at them from, from out of nowhere, really. Now, when I think of that, I think of uh, COVID-19. Where in the world did that come from? Well, I have some ideas about that. But uh, what in the world's been happening? I mean, it's just, whew, it just is overwhelming. So Jehoshaphat suddenly overwhelmed. And what I want you to see is, is he begins to act out in faith. He made mistakes before, but suddenly he grabs hold of God and he begins to act out in faith. So look at verse 3. Verses 3 to, well, we're going to just sort of, we're going to slowly go through this passage. What? Excuse me. We're going to quickly go through this passage because I have to do it in 19 minutes. So then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah that came to seek the Lord. That's the best thing he could have done. The very first thing he did, he pulled out the weapon of prayer and he pulled out the weapon of fasting. We're in a spiritual warfare. And we have to use our weapons or we're going to get run over. And our weapons are not carnal. They're not swords and guns. Well, anybody be a fool to attack Montana, I often wonder how, because everybody's got a gun. Come on, 
he pulled out the stops at this point. He says, we got to do something. This is too much. And then it says that Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and you are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. You know what Jehoshaphat started quoting was good theology. He understood who God was. And as he began to look at God, and listen, when you and I get in a spot, when we begin to look at God, what happens to our problems? They begin to shrink. Put up the next part, if you would, please. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Now, what's he quoting now? What's he doing? He's giving the history of what God has done in the past. He's recounting the, he's going to begin to recount the promises of God. That's one reason you ought to be really familiar with your Bible. If, if you're trying to stand against a, a, a devil who has 6,000 years, basically, of interacting with dumb humans and winning a lot of the time, the only way you're going to win is if you get into his word and begin to quote his word back to him. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat started doing. Look what, look what else. He says, and they have lived in it and built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. And then he does this. I love this. He quotes 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Not in the entirety, but he grabs it. That's his promise. You hold on to the promises of God. He says, if if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and believe before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Man, he's calling God to task. That's, That's powerful prayer. He's calling God to say, look, you promised. We need you to live up to your promise right now. Some of us would go, well, that's sacrilegious. I don't think I should talk to God that way. I don't know. I think God honors that. I think God wants us to open our heart up and say, this thing is overwhelming me. Help. This is what you said you'd do. That's why you got to know the word. Because there's different promises for different situations. Go to the next one. He's praying and fasting. He's standing on the promises. Let me say this about fasting. We don't, we don't talk much about fasting in, in America. I, um, I really don't like to fast. I enjoy eating a whole lot more, if you haven't noticed. Um, food is something wonderful. You know, most of the world does not eat like we do. <laughs> um, and if you look back in times past, uh, in the 70s, some of you older folks can remember this, in the 70s there were still famines in Africa and China. You know, we have an abundance of food. When you fast, you deny yourself of the physical things that you want for your body in order to focus yourself on the spiritual things that you want from God. You, you, you deny the physical in order to enhance the spiritual. And when you fast, I believe God hears that, and he, it, 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 sort of, it does something in the heart of God. It, it lets him know that you're really serious about this situation, that you're really overwhelmed by this situation and you need him. 
And then as you pray back to him the word of God and the promises of God, God responds to that. He's obligated in, in one sense to respond to that. And so I have, four, I'm watching that clock up there and I'm reading the scripture and it's sort of disarming. So I'm trying to run through this, but um, look at the next part of the passage. Put that up. Oh, excuse me. Go back. You'd already flipped it over. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let stand Israel invade, or you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt. He's going back again to what God had told them in the Exodus about invading that piece of property. And he says, you wouldn't let us do that. We honored and we, we did what you asked us not to do. We, we didn't go in there and conquer those people. But now look how they're paying us back. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming to us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel pretty powerless right now. I mean, I'm so glad that we've come back to worship together. I, I missed that for the two plus months we didn't worship together. I still feel at odd. I, I got pushed out of my seat a few minutes ago. And then I went into another seat. Leslie pushed me out of that one. <laughs> and I, I was standing there. Well, what do I do? You know, I mean, it's sort of, but hey, we're together. I'm glad for that. But I still feel powerless. How do you overcome COVID? How do you overcome this mess that's going on in our political system? How do we keep our freedom? I, I, all these things cascade on us, all these questions, all these things that are just overwhelming. And I feel powerless. When we feel powerless, now get this, when we feel powerless, that's when we can experience the power of God. When we feel powerless and we feel helpless, that's when he's ready to help us. That's when he wants to step into our struggle. You know, I think, I'm going to say this a couple of times, but I think part of what's going on here is God is seeing if the church will respond to him, not to our circumstance. He's the one who will take care of us. You know, the American church is filthy rich. I'm sorry, we're filthy rich. I'm, I like that in one sense, but, but the rest of the world's churches are not like this. Remember the passage in Re Revelation where he says, you think you're rich, but? So God, God is saying to us, we need to turn to him because this thing that we're going through is unlike anything we've ever gone through. There's nothing really in our short history as human beings. There's the Spanish flu and then there's the plague, and, but there's nothing really like that in modern times. So how do we handle this? I feel powerless, but I'm going to go to him who has all power. Pop up the next one if you would. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. They all got together at church, okay? And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehiel. Uh, I pronounce all these old guys' names funny, but Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, son of Jehiel, and son of Mataniah, a Levite. In other words, he was one of the ones that's assigned to taking care of the temple things. He was a, he was a preacher. 
And he stands up and he begins to give a comforting prophecy. You know, before I came to this church, I had a, um, I had a, 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 a different view of what the prophetic mean, meant. And uh, when I got in, first got introduced to it here in the church, I was going, holy moly. You know, uh, what is this stuff? <laughs> and I, I'm a reader, so I started picking up a bunch of books trying to figure out what, what is this all about? And one thing I remembered that sort of began to hit me was um, the way y'all have defined prophecy is it's something to be encouraged by. I always understood prophecy to be where you drop the plumb line and this is it. You either come or you, know, you meet God's standard or you're out of here. The Old, the Old Testament prophets. Well, this guy's encouraging. Boy, when I read this again and I thought about where we are right now, or Lynn and I, where we are right now, with this, I said, whoa, this is, this is encouraging. This is good. That's what the prophet's supposed to do. He's supposed to lift the people of God up and, and help them take that next step so that they can go forward with God, not get stuck in the mess. And so this guy speaks out. He says, listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours but God's. Woo, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I want this battle to be of God. I can't handle the horde of COVID. I can't handle the horde of, of political weirdness. I can't handle my wife at times. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> and she's sweet as the day is long. <laughs> I'm powerless. Thank you, Lord, for giving that. Look at the next part. Look what else he says. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they come from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, their reward, uh, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. Did we go back? Yeah, we went back. Let's go. Let's go forward. Okay, there we go. Tomorrow, now, now, I want y'all just think of there's a, let's figure there's a three million man army out there, and and here's a million. And he says, Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Janul, and you will not need to fight. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just let that sink in for a second. You will not need to fight. In this battle, stand, stand firm. What does it say in Ephesians? Where to stand? It says that in James. Where to stand? Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. doesn't tell you what he's going to do, but he says, the Lord will be with you. Now, look what Jehoshaphat does as a result of this. Next part. This is, this is good stuff. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head. Now, this is the king, okay? This is the king of Judah. He's in his royal regalia, probably suit, and he, he bows his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and the Levites and the Kohites and the well, whoeverites, um, they're both actually uh, from the Levitical priesthood, stood up to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. 
So basically, the whole congregation fell on its face before God, led by their king. That's the right response to God's word. That's always the right response. You don't have to fall on your face all the time, but you do have to be obedient. How about the next one? And they rose early in the morning. Now, I want to ask you a question. How would you have slept that night? Two answers. Most likely, if your faith was wavering, you were up pretty much the whole night. Because the next day, it was going to be mayhem if you had to go into a battle, a million against three or six million, however many there were out there. Or you slept like a baby because you had faith in the one who had told you what was about to happen. That's how I know when I'm struggling. I don't know about you, but I've been up several nights that I wished I hadn't been up. Okay, God, what are you doing? What, what, where are we going? What, what's happening here? That's usually an indication that my faith isn't like it should be. So these guys got up early in the morning. This is the next part. When they went out, Jehoshaphat stood. Oh, come back to that one. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe. He's encouraging again. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will, you will be established. Believe his prophets. Who had just spoken to him? A prophet. So believe him. And we will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, now, this is what I love about this passage. This is right where I, I, I get off on this right here. It says, when he had spoken to the rest of the folks, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, if you can, mentally picture this. We got our praise man up here. Matt's over here leading the guitar. And um, they get on a, a bandwagon. You remember little bandwagons or like a car, car hauler? And the people, they're playing. You know, they're just going at it. Yeah. You know, rock and roll hoochie-coo. Yeah, we're going to go, all right? We're going to believe God. We're going to take off. We're going to play as loud as we can. We're going to sing as loud as we can. I don't know if that was really happening or not. But the rest of the people are behind them, the whole army, and they're pushing them right out in front of everybody else. Sort of like be the band in the parade, you know, that comes through and they're marching through and doing all that stuff. And, and uh, there's no, they're, they're going right out in front of the battle. What general in any kind of army would send out a praise band in front of the troops? I mean, that's a little bit on the insane side, but it's a whole lot on the faith side. I mean, listen, if I had been playing in that band, I would have been going, praise, praise the Lord. Do you, remember, uh, do you remember 300, the movie 300 with, the, you know, the Spartans? You remember where, um, I don't remember his name, but the leader of the Spartans throws his spear at the, at the emperor and he catches him right here, but he doesn't kill him. And immediately the emperor says, kill him! And it... So many arrows come down on him that it blinds the sun. You remember that? If you didn't go back and look at it, it's a bloody movie, but anyway. I have a feeling that those guys in the praise band were wondering when they topped the hill if that was what was going to meet them. Six million arrows coming at him. 
enough to blind the sun. But they decided that they would obey God and that they would step out in faith and that they would go forward worshiping. Do you realize that worship is warfare? Worship is warfare. When we declare that we're, our allegiance is with God the Father and not with what goes on around us, we're declaring war on him who asked Jesus to bow at his feet in the temptation in Matthew. He wanted the worship. That's what he wants now. Those who don't know Jesus inadvertently worship. And I don't, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but it's just, I believe that's scripturally true. You inadvertently worship uh, the prince of this world. And what he's calling them to, what they show they can do, is they're going to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Flip up to the next slide real quick. And when they began to sing, underline the little word when. When. When you step out in faith. When you praise God. When you fast and pray. When you... Walk in obedience. That's when God acts. When they began to praise, sing and praise, the Lord set in an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who came, who had come against Judah so that they were routed or rooted. But the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devouring or devo uh, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy one another. Now, I have one minute left, so let me just go to this real quick. God did something amazing. The praise band tops the hill. It's in the rest of the passage. <clears throat> and I have a feeling they stood there in stunned amazement because out in front of them was this enormous army that was dead. And, and not only that, now think about this. It says in the rest of the passage that it took them three days to recover all the loot. And, and, and if you look at the passage, it says it took them three days. That's 1,160,000 men plus all the people that came from the surrounding towns that when they heard about it, they said, hey, I got to get in on this. And so they came out and they started stripping all these bodies. That's a big army to strip. Can you imagine what it smelled like? I, I, I don't even want to think about that. Must have had a huge burial detail. When God works and we trust him and we keep our focus on him, God blesses and he gives, in essence, a reward. He takes care of us. He looks after us. He blesses us. I think those are pretty astounding results when you think. I don't know what God's about to do in our um, nation, but I do know that if we will keep our focus on him and allow him to do what he wants to do, and if we'll be praying and fasting and praising and worshiping and, and focusing on him and not on our circumstance, listen, God's going to do something absolutely amazing. We're going to stand here a year from now. We're going to look back on this and go, wow, what did God take us through? But really, the, the choice is up to you. You know, how are you going to respond to these things when they come at you? I don't always respond right. You can ask my wife. But somewhere along the line, I try to come back 
I say, okay, this one's on you, Lord. I can't take care of it. Now, I'm going to end with this. Give me two more minutes. If you're not a Christian this morning, what are you really depending on? I mean, are you depending on the government? Good luck. Are you depending on your family and your friends? I come from a really screwed up family. I love them to death, but I have a really screwed up family. Not, not my wife and kids. I'm talking about my extended family. You depend on your family? As a Christian, I depend on Jesus. As a Christian, I look to God for, for my hope, for my life, for my salvation, for my eternal destination. And I would invite you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, it's time. It's time to say yes to the Savior. It's time to turn from following the things of this world and the circumstances of this world and turn to Jesus, who alone can save you, who alone can walk us through this. Listen, what if you die of COVID? For me, I mean, I'm not looking forward to dying. I got three beautiful grandbabies and I want to see them grow up. I want to have more. My kids don't all agree with that, but I want to have more. I want to live. But if I die, I'm not concerned in one sense. I'm, I'm going to heaven. Where are you going? There's a bunch of folks in this place that would love to speak to you about your eternal salvation. Give your heart to Jesus. I didn't start with prayer, but I'd like to end with prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the awesome things that are there. If we'll just but take off our blinders and look. We'll spend time there. There's hope. There's truth. Um, there's insight into what's going on around us. And so, God, I pray that you would just put a spirit of, of, um, of desire to know your word on all of us, that we would focus ourselves on it, and that we'd find encouragement in it. And God, I pray for those who may or may not know you. Those who don't, I pray that they might come, uh, come to you today. And those who are struggling, they may know you, and they're just sort of walking around in a, in a blur. I pray, Father, that you'd clear things up for them and camp them out in your word, camp them out in your presence. Bless them. Thank you for this church. It's become a Become a huge blessing to Lynn and I. Bless this church, Lord. Bless what you want to do through this, this body. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> Very good. Really appreciate that. Timely and, and love it, BG. Very good. Good stuff to ruminate on and continue to process in the days ahead. You guys, that's the conclusion of our service today. Thanks for joining us. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you back here next week. Oh, we'll have some prayer right up over here on my left. If you would like to respond to anything BG said or need prayer, there'll be some people up here that could pray for you. You guys, we'll, we'll see you next week.